Hello and welcome to ClassicalPodcast.com. I'm Lou Smoley, and it's been our great pleasure to offer you our diverse programs of classical music, which include commentary, panel discussions, and interviews, all free of charge for more than five years. We are delighted with the huge response to our programs and are proud of the fact that ClassicalPodcast.com is the most listened to website of its kind in the world. If you've enjoyed our programs and would like to have them continue as a free service, please consider supporting the website by making a contribution. Donations are made through PayPal on our website homepage, classicalpodcasts.com. We encourage you to make a monthly contribution if you can. All revenues from our donations will be used to defray the expenses of the website. Classicalpodcast.com, Inc. is a nonprofit organization, and all donations are tax-deductible under applicable U.S. tax laws. We thank you for listening to our programs, hope you continue to do so, and for your generous support of ClassicalPodcast.com. The year 2017 marks the 100th anniversary of the independence of Finland. Its struggles against the Russian yoke finally and apparently forever came to an end in 1917. To celebrate this glorious occasion, we are presenting a series of programs on Finnish music, written around the year of independence and throughout 100 years since. But we've decided as part of this series to celebrate one Finnish composer independently. This composer has finally achieved recognition late in his life as one of the greatest Finnish composers since Jean Sibelius. And I'm speaking of none other than Eino Johanni Rautavara. Rautavara was born 11 years after Finnish independence was declared and died last year having lived a fruitful, expansive, and remarkably diverse life as a composer. Although his oeuvre includes operas, a few of the best that Finland has to offer, incidentally, numerous concertos for diverse instruments, many orchestral and chamber works, and fascinating piano music, we've decided to feature in this program, and in the second part of it, all eight of Rautavara's symphonies, for I believe that it is his symphonies that form an outline of the development of his style and achieved a certain ethereal quality in later years that best expresses what the composer was searching for. Just a few words by way of background. Rautavara studied music at the Sibelius Academy in Helsinki under Ara Merikanto, one of Finland's major composers. He did so from 1948 to 1952. He became internationally recognized at first for winning the Thor Johnson competition contest with his Requiem in Our Time. That was in 1954. As a result, Sibelius, who was still then alive, recommended Rautavara for a scholarship to study at the Juilliard School in New York City. 
There, his teachers included American composer Vincent Persichetti. Rautavara also took lessons with Roger Sessions and Aaron Copeland at Tanglewood. After being graduated from the Sibelius Academy in 1957, Rautavara stayed on to teach there. His more than 60 years of creative activity might well be divided into four periods. An early neoclassical period from, say, the 1950s, uh, in which Rautavara was mainly anchored in traditional styles. Second, an avant-garde and constructivist period in the 1960s, when he experimented with serial techniques, yet abandoned them later on, around the close of the decade, notwithstanding his having been a pioneer in the use of serial techniques in Finland. The third period, a kind of neo-romantic period, if you will, began from the late 1960s and lasted through the 1970s. And finally, a postmodern period that blended a wide range of stylistic techniques During Rautavara's later years, he turned to metaphysical and religious subjects and texts, which gave his music a mystical quality. Rautavara finished his first symphony in 1956 while studying in America. Then it had four movements, but in 1988 he radically altered it, eliminating the finale and merging the two slow movements so as to end up with only two movements an opening on Dante, and a very brief allegro. Both the romantic character and the length of the first movement shows Shostakovich as an obvious influence, particularly his penchant for the grotesque, ironic, and sarcastic. The music here leaves a bleak Nordic chill that contrasts with fierce intensity. The second movement recalls Prokofiev in its demonic scherzando quality. In 2003, Rautavara again revised the symphony, adding a finale in an effort to provide for greater resolution. It is that final version of the first symphony that we will now hear, performed by the National Orchestra of Belgium, Miko Frank, conducting.
That was the symphony number one by the composer whose career as symphonist we're celebrating today uh, in light of Finland's centennial year uh, of its independence, Eino Johanni Rautavara. About one year after the original version of the first symphony was written, Rautavara completed his second venture in the genre. In a sense, it functions as the antithesis to the first. It's more dissonant 
and is at substantial variance with what had developed as the typical Finnish symphony at that time. The second is more chamber music-like. It has little thematic development and is reflective of Stravinsky's music, especially in the finale that recalls the adoration of the earth from Stravinsky's Le Sacre du Printemps. In its modernity, Rautavara's second symphony looks forward to the composer's later, more experimental period. As with the first symphony, Rautavara subjected the second to revision, so that the final version, which was completed in 1984, is for a larger orchestra and generates a richer sound. The first of its four movements, marked quasi-grave, begins softly and soon takes on an eerie aura while it harkens back to that sense of frozen Nordic tension from the first symphony's opening movement. The second symphony's second movement is a brief vivace that is lively but still retains that austere quality from the first movement. After a haunting Largo movement, the finale, marked presto, sweeps by quickly in a kind of scherzando-esque character. We hear it now, the second symphony of Rautavara, performed by the Leipzig Radio Symphony, directed by Max Palmer.
You've just heard the symphony number two by our featured composer, Eno Johanni Rautavara. It was performed by the Leipzig Radio Symphony, directed by Max Palmer. In his third symphony, written in 1961, Rautavara integrated the neo-romanticism of his first symphony with the modernism of his second. All the work is written in a 12-tone idiom. It is not completely chromatic. The row and its variations are derived using the 12-tone system, but the shape of the music is mainly organized around tonal principles. Essentially, the third symphony is a kind of response to Bruckner. In fact, Rautavara uses Wagner tubas, as Bruckner had in his third symphony. But Rautavara's response to Bruckner's music is not hackneyed or derivative. In fact, the third symphony was his most important work to date, his first true symphonic masterpiece. The first of its four movements is marked Langsam, Bright, and then Ruhig. It's got an austere, ethereal quality and is Brucknerian in length over 12 minutes. The second movement marked Langsam, Doch nicht schleppen. The third, Zer schnell an energetic scherzo, kind of will-o'-the-wisp. And finally, bewegt, agitated, is the last movement's marking. Once again, we hear the Leipzig Radio Symphony, directed by Max Palmer, in the Symphony Number no. 3 from 1961 by Aino Johanni
The Leipzig Radio Symphony Orchestra, directed by Max Palmer, performed the Symphony No. 3 by our featured composer, Eno Johanni Rautavara. <laughs> 